Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. Welcome to episode 25 of the Front Office Exchange podcast, where today we'll hear from Casey Crawford, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Movement Mortgage. Yes, you heard that right. I am interviewing the head of a mortgage company for this episode. Hang with me. It all makes sense here in a second. Casey's background is unique. Uh, He actually, I told you, we'll tie in. He's a former NFL tight end, having spent time with the Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, winning a Super Bowl with the latter in 2003. And upon retiring, Casey then entered the real estate business and then the mortgage business, uh, where he has spent the last 10 plus years growing movement mortgage into one of the fastest growing private mortgage companies in the country with a perennial listing in the Inc. 5000. On top of that, today, February 1st, marks my first day with the company. I'm joining Movement as its new Vice President of Content and Social Strategy. And Casey's also my brother-in-law, so this episode, yes, is definitely a little unique. We had a great time. Uh, We talked about my role at Movement. Don't worry, I have plans to definitely continue this podcast. Uh, But my focus for this episode is on Casey's career and his thoughts in general about the challenges that professional athletes face when their playing careers are over and they look to transition into a new career. He also gives advice for entrepreneurs uh, and just his story from being injured in college, thinking about the NFL, deciding not to do it, then giving it a shot, then starting a mortgage company right as the economy is crashing. It's unbelievable. Um, So let's let him tell the story. Without further ado, Movement Mortgage CEO, Casey Crawford. Casey Crawford, welcome to Front Office Exchange, where we bring on executives in apparently the mortgage industry now. What is going on? What is this? Man, I was just—I wasn't sure you knew what you were getting into. No, I—I I really don't. And I mean, we could take that a million different places uh, because we're recording this the day before I start at Movement Mortgage, where you are co-founder, chief executive officer, and we'll explain how this sort of ties into sports business. But yeah, big day tomorrow. Big big day. We uh, yeah, we got the welcome wagon ready. Um, and before we get too far, episode twenty-five. Who thought we made it, Kate? We made it. Who thought we'd make it this far? <laughs> and, and you know, it, it only took twenty-five of these, I guess, to uh, to crack your uh, your yeah. guest list. So, yeah. I mean, I'm thankful you got this far. Yeah. Well, let me just if we keep it real. This is a stretch. Um, you don't work in the sports business industry <laughs> anymore. 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 But you yeah. you were in it for, gosh. Three or four three years. years. Three years. Yeah, three. It felt like four. Lengthy career. It so felt like, like four. Internships. Yeah. <laughs> internships last longer than three or four years. <laughs> so let's let's go all the way back. So all right, we'll, we'll try to keep this thing on the rails, but there's probably no chance of that happening. Um, I asked Casey to come on one, obviously, because uh, I'm joining Movement Mortgage tomorrow, which is insane to say. This episode will post on February 1st. Very excited. Um, but two, there is a tie-in here. Casey played uh, in the NFL for three seasons, uh, played for UVA in college as well, tight end. Um, And what I want to hear is how that early career in the NFL and your Super Bowl experience, which again, Super Bowl week, this is like the whole, the media day. I'm going to ask you like what your favorite meal is, like what, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. Boxers, briefs, let's get weird. Let's just all, no, um, just the timing works a lot of different ways on this one. Um, but I want to hear how that experience, uh, has helped you get to where you are today. And then also just kind of what you see in general 
uh, when professional athletes, they realize their career is over and now what, <laughs> what to do. Um, so let's go back to UVA. Wow. All right. Back to UVA. All the way back. Decent player. Tiki Barber. Decent player. That, that's actually a whole other podcast. That team was unstacked. Unbelievable. Unreal. James Ferrier, Pat Kearney, Tiki Barber, Rondé Barber, Aaron Brooks, Thomas Jones, Antoine Womack. Yeah, no, the list goes on and on and yeah. on and on and on. And so you were tight end, the all kinds of accolades, junior, senior year. Okay, you graduate. Season's over. Now what? Yeah, um, had decided I was not going to play football anymore. Had four surgeries in three years, and that was enough. And uh, at that time, right, it was coming out, and it was during the dot-com bubble, right? So everyone's everyone's buying dot-coms, uh, getting private equity, going funny. We came up with a, an idea for sportkid.com, helping kids navigate the uh, the world of, of um, camps and, uh, and training programs to get into college. In 2001? In 1999. Wow, so yeah. you were ahead of the game a little bit with that. I mean, yeah, not necessarily uh, the dot-com bubble, but Unfortunately, that idea. we weren't far enough ahead of the game because oh. we uh, went and pitched a couple private equities out in California. Okay. Um, one of them, uh, the same day, Michael Jordan... Um, who was a Joe Montana and Gretzky pitched MVP.com, which ah. while not exactly what we wanted to do was substantially similar with slightly better resumes. Look, so. Casey, you've had a great career, but <laughs> that's a stack deck. Yeah. Okay. Like second team, all ACC, just, right. you know, right, right behind Montana. Um, so yeah, they, they, uh, they edged us out, got a little more capital than we did. And, uh, I was forced back into sports to, uh, pay for our mortgage forced back into sports. All right. So being slightly modest. So, um, you were right. You were kind of a high draft pick projected situation. Wasn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Junior year, uh, Mel Kuyper had me going, uh, in the first round. Uh, I was a preseason all American going into my senior year and, um, had, a, but had a number of injuries and only ended up playing three games. My senior year, I cracked my pelvis and I had groin, so had, um, uh, they call it sports hernia surgery, uh, but I was only the, I was sounds... one of the first guys to have it uh, as a football player back then. It's gotten a lot more guys have had it wow. since then. Uh, they thought it was a four to six week recovery. They know now it takes about a year to recover. So I had it one week before uh, oh my, my first game my senior year. So yeah, that that, that cut a bit into my senior senior performance <laughs> at senior season, and I ended up getting uh, not drafted. Uh, went from a you know preseason maybe a potentially first round pick to not being selected, and got basically a a plane ride. Uh, and an invitation to training camp with the Panthers. Wow. And, but uh, to your point, the the money, the private equity, Wall Street, all of that. So being that you're in the financial services industry now, this is not an accident. You were looking at that kind of sector early on. Yeah, I, th- I think I was. I was always entrepreneurial and, um, you know, was fascinated with business. I was probably the guy that rather than watching ESPN during college and the NFL, I was, you know, watching CNBC and uh, watching the money, honey. Yes. Yeah, so right. right. Those, those are my dreams. Those are the that shows that I was trying to make. Riveting. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, and, and, you know, truthfully, honestly, I always kind of looked at me. There are easier ways to make a living than getting chased by the uh, the largest, fastest, meanest human beings on the planet. Yeah. Uh, and so and I knew, you know, you just can't do that forever either right you mentioned earlier in the show uh, how guys transition out of sports and what that looks like well i've watched the 30 for 30 like everyone else has and that has not historically been a a tremendously successful transition uh so that was you know i I didn't have a vision of being an athlete for my entire life and knew at some point i was going to need to provide for my family in a uh, another manner so did you you i don't want to say 
use the NFL as a platform? Like, were you that yeah. kind of conscious yeah. in the yeah. moment? Okay. No, I think that's fair. I right. think that's fair. I think one of the greatest things the NFL is, is a platform. It's a platform to impact kids' lives. It's a platform for uh, for you to make relationships. I've, I've done some speaking to, to former players and guys that are still playing right now. And I oftentimes tell them, man, that one of the greatest assets you have as a current player are the relationships you're making while you're playing. You know, if you're a player, if you're in the front office, if you're a coach in any NFL team, almost any college team, right? You can meet with just about any person in that city. Any person in that city is excited to meet with a player, meet with a front office guy that can give them a behind the scenes insight into what's going on on that team. And you can make incredible business relationships because of the platform sports gives you. And I think that that's true for, uh, for the players as well as coaches in front office. Okay, so two years with the Panthers. And that was not during one of the years they went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I had to. I mean, we're just, yeah. Yeah, it's great doing these with, uh, yep, with family. Sure. My brother-in-law here. Yeah, right. go all the way in on no, the deep, but, dark mean, places. In my I, I am a unabashed, non going to not apologize. I'm a huge Panthers fan. No, Those were some dark years. The, 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 you know, <laughs> I, now, now, I was there. We, we, were, we were seven and eight. Uh, what? Eight, eight, I guess seven and nine my first year. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, second year with uh, with Seifert, we set the NFL record for most consecutive losses. We won our first game, and uh, then nine eleven happened, threw us out of our rhythm, and we went one in zero uh, and fifteen. Um, yes, that wow. was rough. Yeah, that was rough. Brought in Coach Fox the next season, and they decided I was the uh, what fifty third most valuable guy on the team. Just a bit outside. Just missed. Yeah, but you know what? Blessing in disguise. So, and then uh, at some point you knew phone this was, rang. I was gonna say at some point phone you knew, rang. Tell, do the impersonation. <laughs> just get it out of the way. <laughs> just imagine it, if the phone was Gruden was on the other side. I, I, that's how I'm picturing it. It could have been an intern. Could have been an ops admin. It, it, yeah, it, it most likely was. But if he was calling you, Jake, he might have said something like, "Jake Phelan, you're six four, six eight with a hairdo, brother. Ran a four nine five at a." Pine, Southern Pines High School. I mean, a little, probably a little quicker, John. But go ahead. Go ahead. Got, a, got a West Coast offense down here, man. I'm going to pump you the freaking rock. We're, we're going to feed you, baby. Going to feed you till you're full. <laughs> How'd you like to come down here and win a world freaking championship? And you want to run through a wall. And, you know, I, 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 you know that and also was unemployed. So, so sure. yeah, the, the offer sounded pretty good. No, but it's funny. I've never asked you this. Did you, because I don't think you were looking to relocate out of Charlotte personally, so what were you really saying, hey, look, it's either Falcons, Redskins, or Bucks, or Dolphins? No, so, so or- the, the nice thing about that, you know, I was released by the, by the, uh, by the Panthers, and the, uh, what you're hoping for is the phone rings at that point. You hit the wire as a free agent, and you're, you hope that somebody's interested in, in picking you up. So nice thing was, as soon as I hit the wire... I got calls from Green Bay, from uh, Baltimore, and from Tampa, and from about four or five teams, and they're all saying, "Hey, we'd love to, you know, sign you." Here's here's what we're thinking, and you know, your agent kind of helps navigate that. And I literally grabbed a duffel bag, threw a pair of cleats in it, um, some shorts and a t-shirt, jumped on a plane, and flew down to Tampa because uh, my agent said, "Hey, this is the best situation for you. They got, um, you know, they're gonna have some tight end openings. This guy runs an offense. They really like you as a player. Go down there." Uh, so I, I I packed a pair of shoes, jumped on a plane, and, and flew down to Tampa to. Uh, sign so i think it's fair to ask now a decade later so you're with the bucks a year and granted it's easy to go out on top but you were there it wasn't like you went to the bucks and played five years and you know that you were saying hey i'm going to be in the nfl for another four or five years no in that in between period did you think about hanging it up then 
Well, no, because it was about 15 minutes long. So, oh, so. okay. All right. <laughs> no, and I didn't. And, and frankly, my wife, uh, you know, Michelle was in her third year of law school, and I had to pay for that year of mm-hmm. law school. I was counting on the NFL salary to do that. So sure. I, was, I was hoping someone was going to extend an offer to me. So, but I did know kind of in that moment at that time that I, I was pretty sure this was going to be my last year, which was kind of cool, right? I mean, because I didn't have a long career. Obviously, it wasn't some kind of crazy um, story deal like uh, Big Poppy got to do where he knew it was going to be his last oh season. Enjoyed it. But I did get to kind of enjoy the moments you know, of it, really kind of thinking, hey, this is going to be the last time I do this. And I, I, I've been playing football since I was a little boy. Man, I've enjoyed it. It's been a great start in life for my wife and I. Um, but the, this is going to be the last time I go through these practices and do this kind of thing. And so getting to go all the way to the Super Bowl really just solidified that decision. I, I had made it, you know, pretty much once I'd gotten fired, I'd never, never uh, dealt real well with somebody else kind of controlling my destiny that, that dramatically. So is that why you're having such a hard time with this podcast? <laughs> so I won't Casey, sit down. Sit down. Yeah, here's a mic. Stand over he's, you. He's literally. So I've got a six nine. Well, you already made me feel uncomfortable with the, with this mic setup well, here. So I, I got, I I got these... the long furry fuzzy mic, and you got the professional like looking radio hey, broadcast. Talk to thing. your chief branding officer. Uh, no, so hey, Dave King. See you tomorrow. Um, yeah, but uh, not to get too inside baseball. But you. You know, you've got your duffel bag, your cleats, you get off the plane and you walk in. Do you just walk in and go, uh, we might win the Super Bowl this year? Holy <laughs> crap. Like looking around. I mean, there were some dudes on that team. Oh, th- that was that was an all star. I mean, both talent and personalities. Right. You had Keyshawn Johnson, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Mike Allstott, Joe Jorovicius, Simeon Rice. I mean, I mean, the list just goes on. And you got Lynch, Johnson. New- Lynch, 49ers I mean, team. come yeah. on, man. Uh, yeah, just absolute studs, huge personalities, icons of the game. And uh, and then you had Coach Gruden, right, who was replacing Tony Dungy, one of the most loved coaches of all and successful right. coaches of all time. The Bucks pay $8 bucks to buy out Gruden's contract from the Raiders with one purpose. They've been in the playoffs every single year. His only purpose in being there, win a world championship, win a Super Bowl. Oh. Yeah, they, 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 they were already yeah. a successful franchise. Right. So it was like, absolute clarity about what everyone is there to do like be, go, making the playoffs was not the goal the right. goal was to win a world championship and he set that vision first day I was there first practice so I remember hearing you just a little bit talk over the years about when you were in Carolina Jerry Richardson was there and just what a savvy businessman he is what you've learned from him was there any of that in Tampa or was it just such a blur you guys were so good it all happened so fast that you said you know what this is definitely going to be my last year, and when I'm done, I'm going to go back to Charlotte and start my career off the field. Man, it was so dramatically different, those two experiences. The uh, the first one with the Panthers, <clears throat> Jerry Richardson, former tight end, not not just a football player, but right. also a tight end. Right. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, fabulously successful business guy, but he loved the players. So you looked at the facilities were top-notch. Our practice fields were incredible. Players were treated like gold. Contrast that with Tampa. When I fly down there, and if you had not been the NFL for five years, you got the privilege of sharing a locker. You had, you got to share a locker. So your jock strap and socks got mixed up with some other guy who had also had uh, been in the NFL for less than five years. There's a lot of vets on that. Team. <laughs> it was there are a lot of really good veteran players on that team. The, the, yeah, <laughs> what 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 it was pretty incredible. Is there are a lot of high schools in Tampa that had a better facility than we did. Oh my so, gosh. So we were at, literally in trailers. We had a weight room oh, that could only that had two bench it. presses that okay. you could only get on sign up in for. Um, lunch, you had to sit on the floor with a styrofoam plate under your locker and eat lunch. The, the, there were no facilities whatsoever. We practiced if it rained. We had to move cars in a parking deck by the mall to go. So 
unbelievably dramatically different approaches to the game, you know, by the Glazers, who I don't think were real sports oriented. They didn't have sports backgrounds. They certainly hadn't played in the NFL. Uh, They're completely business guys, and they made a ton of money on on, 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 the valuation of that team compared to, you know, playing for a former player himself who had a real appreciation for what players go through and wanted wanted that to be a great experience. So, yeah, very different approaches to how you care for the players. But, you know, obviously both both franchises have, um, you know, achieved great success. So you win the Super Bowl. All by myself. All by yourself. No, but, you know, you're part of that. Amazing team, and you know Gruden is just like you said; he's iconic now. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he's the new Madden. Oh, he's, he's um, you know, this week of the year, this could go. We can go a lot of directions with this, but with it being in the Super Bowl, or even when it's October, and I'm not even going to ask you when it's June, July, and you're in camp. <laughs> I know the answer to that. But do you ever PTSD. get any far removed? But do you get any itch at all? Like, ah, oh, man, that was fun. I missed that. Oh, gosh. I I know when Michelle's kicking your butt in CrossFit, (laughs) you're like, I'm actually getting more worked out now. Oh, man. You know know where I get, I think, more so is going back and watching a high school football game here (laughs) than the the Super Bowl and the NFL is incredible, but it is such a show. And and it's, you know, you're thrown onto a team with guys. Like, I I wasn't the only guy that showed up uh, the week before the season started and was a part of that team. There was lots of guys who kind of had that story. So you don't have years of building relationships and bonds and, you know, where you're creating these kind of special memories. A couple of guys had that, you know, Warren and uh, Rondé and Derek and you know, Lynch. And those guys have played together for years and they had some great, uh, I'm sure, bonding. But, you know, I think when the fall comes, uh, coming out there and watching high school football, it was just all your best friends going out, having the time of your life, man, you know, playing against the rival high schools. That Those are really the better memories um, even for me, even in the, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's an um, amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience. But um, but probably not as I'm not as emotionally connected to it as I was some of those high school games. Any chance you remember any questions you were asked during media day? <laughs> um, but is I, it as I much remember, of a circus as they say? Oh, it's, an, it's, it's right? an absolute circus. Yeah, there, there's everyone. I, I remember getting interviewed by Raven Simone, right? You remember? Like, yes. yes, no, yes. 100 from the Cosby yeah. Show, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm going, right. I'm like, I'm freaking out, I'm like, right? Whoa, I'm getting interviewed. This is crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so like, and, and did I, did an interview with Mandy Moore? Like, like, and I'm, I am like the eighth backup, right? I'm like, I'm like, how they, I have my numbers clearly on that. You have gotten so in the wrong place to you're ending up doing an interview with me. Like you don't know how far you are from the stars, right? They're just funny now, all, totally all, uninformed. They're both relevant. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mandy, Mandy Moore's on the show. one show. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Raven this is, is us. Yeah. yeah. And now, and here you are, you're all grown up, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> Got a mortgage company. <laughs> Uh, so any doubt in your mind they actually they did make me do my super bowl dance which i know you would have enjoyed wait but oh, gosh, oh, we could sit on this for hours but the Sorry. super bowl show me the super bowl dance here no, no, isn't no. it the we fox don't, we robot don't have room. we don't have room isn't was, that, like conspiracy I, you're I, the fox I, robot can we get there are we all cracking something like confidential <laughs> sorry no that that is not actually a real thing that's not a real thing but casey thing. thinks it yeah casey thinks it is <laughs> Watch some of my pregame film. Yeah, okay, when I, when I get right. warmed up for kickoff, and tell, right. tell me it's not the Fox Robot. All right, so I'm you, still waiting for my royalty check. You get the ring. You get the ring. Any doubt in your mind that your career was over? No. Okay. <laughs> done. Uh, done and done at that point. Loved it. I mean, true. And was thankful. Wasn't you know was was leaving on a high note, right? Like knew that it was uh, was not going to have a more exciting season than the one we had just had. So, uh, no, that was the perfect ending to, uh, to my football career. And then you hear about windshield time. So you, you get in your truck. I think you still have the truck at that point. Yep. You're driving back up 95. Are you freaking out? Are you, hey, I got a plan. I'm going to go back to my old Charlotte network. I'm going to go back to the guys I know work in financial services. I'm going to do something. Yeah. A little bit of both, I think, right? So, 
Um, there's that, that kind of eager enthusiasm about what's next. Hopefully, you got a little of that tonight. You got a little, 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 little butterflies going into hard, a new. Hard not to when I see <laughs> you working that directional mic over there. Good grief. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so, so so yeah, funny. it was actually already um, while I was playing with, with the Panthers. Kind of what I've told a lot of guys and what I've suggested. I was already in business, so I already had a um, a real estate company that I started while I was playing football. So I had some great relationships. Wow. Was already doing some business and was really just walking back into that um, and knew I was going to try to expand that. You know, when when uh, my career in football was over. And what did that look like? So this is now Super Bowl was '03. And you're hitting the ground running. I didn't realize you had started that while you were still playing. Yep. So you hit the ground running. And at that point, it was ramping up into, we can laugh about it now, I, I would hope, but it was ramping up into 2007 where just it was, let's get crazy. The absolute yeah. meltdown. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think our now president, uh, Donald Trump, I read a book he, he, and, he, and he wrote, said the only bad deal uh, was the one you didn't do during that time period, right? So the right. only bad real estate transaction was the one you didn't buy because everything went up. And those stories were rampant in the locker room, right? The, the locker room is a great place for investment tips and ideas. I can Every, Everybody's got one. Right. <laughs> Which island do you own again? Okay, got it. Uh, and so, so yes, yeah, so I was investing you know, in real estate kind of alongside a lot of other guys. And, and everything really was going up. And things were going very, very well. And this was the absolute you know, peak, hot, white hot moment of the uh, the real estate bubble for the next few years. So I was pretty sure when I retired, I was the brightest guy to have ever played uh, in the NFL and uh, certainly the brightest real estate investor. Did you know for sure Charlotte was going to be home? Well, we knew it was going to be home in the short term because Michelle, uh, my wife, had just um, graduated law school and taken a bar and had a job in Charlotte. So she was the only one with a really steady income and paycheck that was going to come from Charlotte. So yeah, that, that, was, that was home for the near term. And then, if I remember correctly, so you had – it was – Four businesses kind of under one umbrella. So it's like, okay, we're going to do mortgage, hard money. Was that right? Yeah. Property investment. And then I think that maybe that was something else or maybe you're flipping houses. Yeah. But I mean, you had your hands kind of in all parts of that world. Yeah. We did a little bit of real estate development and, uh, and hard money lending. So short-term loans for uh, investors that were flipping houses themselves. And then, yeah, we flipped some houses also and then got into mortgages. And I, I want to jump ahead now because here you are now developing different areas of Charlotte through movement. But... When did you say, and did I wonder if the uh, economy situation facilitated this, when did you say, let's strip away the fat, I want to focus on mortgages, which was Greenbrier Lending? Was that yeah. the first? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great question. And I'd love to say that I had the uh, just the business acumen to do it. The market did it for me. That was the only so, domino yeah. left standing? <laughs> right, okay. It really, it really was. Um, I actually got bought out of two real estate development projects in 06 and 07 that I was pretty sure I had been uh, taken advantage of, right? I, got, I was the little guy in the deal and got mm. pushed out and knew, man, these guys are going to make so much money. And I'm, man, I'm just, uh, I'm left out of the whole deal. And um, I, I literally remember two years later sitting at my desk, looking out the window and just thanking God that I wasn't in those deals because I would have been bankrupt. I, I mean, I would have been wow. absolutely bankrupt if yeah. they not bought me out. But I found myself in 07 with no real estate uh, development deals to do. Um, we weren't doing any more hard money lending because that, that dried up and stopped. So it wasn't flipping houses. That, uh, that market had really stopped. The only business we had left was a mortgage business. And um, just kind of looking around, all the great mortgage companies in the United States were getting wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, they were just getting evaporated o overnight, over and over. There was actually a, a website, the Mortgage Implodometer, that was just tracking every day as mortgage companies blew up. Wow. Yeah, so... We were, um, I was probably, you know, the, the kid looking for the pony in the, in the, in the pile. 
Um, but we said, man, with all these companies going out of business, yeah. there's got to be some opportunity here. There's got to be some opportunity in the mortgage space because we, we continue to believe that you know the federal government was going to continue to um, subsidize the economy through the mortgage space and that you know, individual home ownership and individual property rights are always something that our country has held dear. And that was going to be something that Americans continue to look to purchase their own homes and somebody to provide the financing. So I go back to when Paige, your sister, my wife, and I were buying our first house and it was in Raleigh. We were moving out from New York, and we used Jeff Brown, who is now one of your dudes. Yeah. yeah. And this is what we said to our realtor. She said, so who are you going to use for your mortgage? And I said, <laughs> we're going to use Greenbrier Lending. My brother-in-law. Brother that sounds credible. Yeah. Which is my brother-in-law's company, and he's saying that he could close in like seven days. She laughed us out of the place seven days later. Everything closed seamlessly, <laughs> and she's like, "What just happened? Yeah. Who is?" Well, it, it did help that you were the only loan we had that month. So, I was going to say yeah. Jeff Brown was on it. He was all <laughs> on top of it. He was over it. Uh, we yeah. might have refinanced you four times after that. We, so, yeah, uh, that was, it was actually great. <laughs> uh, all right, so Greenbrier Lending, um, you survive <laughs> naturally. You start this amidst just a complete train wreck in the industry. You survive. Then the next step is New American. So give a little peek into why the rebrand and how the company was growing at that time. Yeah, so Greenbrier just started off again. We were, I was in a lot of different areas of real estate, and um, we did a joint venture. I did a joint venture with National City Mortgage, who was the seventh largest lender in the United States, a 150-year-old bank, who was one of those that ended up hitting the mortgage implodometer. So Greenbrier was a joint venture with that company, and National City um, got blown up. So we had to, again, we were forced. It wasn't this great business decision. I was forced to go in and start a private mortgage bank all on my own, never having done it before. So this is when you hear the sound bite. You Googled how to start a company? Yeah. Is that, okay. Yeah, that is legitimately, right. yeah, that is exactly the moment. We, my, my partner looked at me and was like, uh, well, Kimo Sabi, if you want to keep doing this, you're going to have to go and- uh, Is your partner Gruden? <laughs> it's a good, Toby, it's a good Toby, impersonation. Toby Gruden Harris, yeah. Yeah. Um, Go, go, you know, go start a mortgage company yourself. So I literally, I typed in Google how to start a mortgage bank. That's insane. And yeah, okay. game. Dave, Dave Liking comes walking out on the screen from Mortgage Banking Solutions. Great friend to this day. And I picked up the phone, called him, and um, I told him, hey, we want to start a mortgage bank. And I think we're going to be a billion-dollar mortgage bank inside of like 24 months. And he kind of laughed. And we weren't. But <laughs> he was gracious enough yeah. anyway to help me kind of walk through the process. And then, um, yeah, but the, 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 the July 27th, 2007 was the day I filed the... LLC and corporation paperwork for uh, for movement. So now just kind of give a peek inside the entrepreneurial mindset. Did doubt creep in at all? Or are you like all these other insane entrepreneurs out there that was like, you know what? I'm, I don't care. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to Google this ship sunk, this ship sunk. I'm just going to power through. And meanwhile, is Michelle just like, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I, I think, okay, I think, to say you never had doubts is, is, is disingenuous. Right. But truly enough, I think from the earliest days, it just made a lot of sense to me. And I thought there was no reason in the world that we shouldn't succeed. I, I really believe there was no there was no reason we shouldn't be successful. I couldn't imagine why we wouldn't. And um, I couldn't, you know, I kind of said, hey, why not us, right? If anyone can do this, why not? Why not us? And and so, yeah, we, you know, we started with certainly terrifying and scary. And there's lots of, you know, stories along with that. But interestingly, like Michelle, I don't think... Um, 
you know, maybe maybe she was too naive to doubt, but she really didn't didn't doubt or have too many questions about it either in the early days. I think right she I think she had bigger questions later on when she looked back, like you did what? Yeah, How risky? Right. I think I might have sold it as a little less risky than it actually was, right. but. Uh, yeah, no, she was kind of blissfully unaware during that time. Meanwhile, she's Googling how to start a gym. <laughs> right. What is CrossFit? We, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, she, she, uh, she had not yet started her CrossFit yeah. career. So CrossFit career. what was the point? You mentioned Toby, your co-founder. Was there a point that you remember, and you know, it, maybe it wasn't that specific, but where you kind of looked at each other and you said, I think we're on to something. Yeah, no, I, I do remember when it was um, because I it, it came right on the heels of, of of one of those terrifying moments of going, oh crap, what have we done? Uh, we actually launched the company in September of two thousand eight, and uh, for those listeners that that recall that may, maybe were in financial services or, or you know in business, October of two thousand eight was really the peak of the Great Recession. That was the, that was the beginning of the crash. That's if you, if you watch Too Big to Fail, you'll see this moment where Timothy Geithner comes up out of the subway station in New York and he's talking I think, to his wife. He's looking around going, people have no idea. That they have no Steve Carell character. Yeah, like, our yeah. country is on the brink, right? Warren Buffett comes out that that month and says, um, "The United." He, and Warren Buffett's always positive, right? He's right. always, "I'm long right. on America." Blah, blah. He comes out and goes, "If the federal government doesn't step in, our country's on the brink." GE almost misses payroll. McDonald's almost misses payroll. AIG's about to fail. It's there. I mean, there, there's just international catastrophe going on in the banking system to the point of collapse, right? So, we launched, you know, 30 days before that. Obviously. <laughs> my goodness, right? And uh, yeah, I was in the, the closet sucking my thumb and crying and, you know, trying to console myself. This was not the worst idea ever. Right. Um, and, and you know, it's interesting. We kind of just hunkered down for like 60 days and, and, and tried to not think about how bad things were. But I remember when the, when the federal government stepped in and started buying mortgage-backed securities that December, rates dropped. And by the, um, we had lost, we had lost um, almost $100,000 in the first 60 days of business. And um, we, you know, you kind of have to launch a certain size as a mortgage bank, yep. so it's, it's kind of easy to do. But that that December, we actually made one hundred and ten thousand bucks for the first time. And man, I remember we just, we kind of looked at each other and went, "All right, this is going to work. Like, yeah. This is gonna, we got some wind behind in our sales. You know, the, the housing market was not nearly robust, or, but it was there was enough going on, and there was enough kind of like light in the tunnel that we uh, we thought we could move forward and, and really never look back from from that day. But it was. December of 2008, right after October of 2008, mm. you know, sometimes the nice light moments are coming right after your darkest days. Um, when, when, when we kind of looked at each other and thought it was really going to work and kind of rock and roll from there. And, and obviously we're skipping over many steps, but then another rebrand the movement. And I've always wondered what was the chicken or the egg? Now I know you've had fundamentally, um, you know, core principles behind whatever the company was called. Mm. That has been the red thread that's run through all of it. But, you are now known, you know, I think nationally, but definitely here in the Southeast in Charlotte for having this amazing culture. It's one of the reasons I'm really excited about starting tomorrow. Did that come before movement? Did the name movement come before that? Has, have they been driving each other? Yeah. Talk about that rebrand. Yeah. No. So, so I think the first question was around, you know, when, when and where did the culture come from? The, the branding for us is, is really just putting, putting some words and articulating the DNA of who we are, were already right. So, 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 so the, our culture didn't flow out of the name. Um, the name I think helped to frame our culture for, for, for the, you know, kind of broader markets. Um, we, we had to change the name from new American mortgage to movement actually, because we didn't know there was another little company in California who had actually right. trademarked that name a few years earlier, but it ended up being like a huge blessing and obviously something that we were really thankful for because it gave us an opportunity it, was, it would have been tough sell, I think, with four people to say, hey, 
We're going to be movement mortgage. We want to be a movement of change in our industry and corporate cultures and in communities across America. And then it just and there's there's silence. Yeah. Like, all right, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was still a little bit of a stretch at like a thousand people when we right. had to do it at that. You know, at that point, we're still people are still kind of looking at us a little crazy. Like that's a little bit of an ambitious vision to attach to your name. Um, but uh, but yeah, when we were able to rebrand movement, we really wanted to give our, ourselves a name that embodied who we were and what our passion was for the industry and for the, the country, really. And, uh, and we thought, you know, movement summed that up uh, very, very well. So it's, it's, been, it's been something we've really run with. A lot of other folks have actually kind of jumped <laughs> onto the, I was actually at a meeting today of um, uh, church leaders around the United States. They have a movement day. Apparently ah, not, okay. not named after us. Oh, it's not for uh, you. Not oh, okay. For I thought us. that was no, for you. Okay. No. Got it. Okay. No, there's a thousand churches in New York that get together and do this Sure. in, uh, in Manhattan and they're looking to bring it to other cities and they thought, you know, why not move a mortgage to sponsor this, this kind of thing. So, um, it's highest form of flattery. Getting so ambitious vision. I mean, we could sit here all night. What's coming next? Uh, you guys just announced you, last week. You were coming next. I know, right? <laughs> you guys just announced uh, last week that you've got 700 jobs coming over the next several years that are going to be right here in the Indian land area of South Carolina. I, I, I'm seeing billboards now for the school that you're opening up. Yeah. You've got the Movement Center uh, for not-for-profits, almost like a not-for-profit co-working space in downtown Charlotte. Yep. So. Those are all very exciting. Is there something else kind of behind curtain four? Or are those maybe the three <laughs> pillars that you're really focused on? Growth and then development uh, in Uptown Charlotte. Yeah, well, I mean, so so for us, kind of the, um, the, the the work we do in the mortgage space and then the work we do in the not-for-profit space probably all blend together. We, we hope they all blend together, right? We want to be strengthening communities by bringing capital to communities um, in the form of helping people purchase homes, right? One of the most significant forms of capital we can bring to a community are individuals that buy, that, that, that plant their homes and, and bring capital to purchase a home in that community. So we can't talk about bringing capital and education to communities across America. Um, capital in the form of the mortgages and then education in the form of our charter schools where we're looking to plant them in, uh, in areas where uh, the urban poor have been to this point underserved by traditional public school systems. Uh, so we found a great uh, school, Sugar Creek, right here in Charlotte that we've modeled after. Sugar Creek has now 1,500 kids um, K through 11, I believe they just opened up, we helped them open up their high school last year. And, um, they, they are just having fabulous academic success with a, a, um, a demographic that has historically struggled to, uh, to, to, re to really find success and really find a firm footing in academic America. So we've modeled after their success. We now have movement school launching with uh, K through second grade this, uh, September. And we're now looking for a second location for our second, uh, charter school movement school. We also just had a team get back now internationally from Africa where we have an 1,100-acre right. farm that uh, is up and rolling in northern Uganda. Uh, we're providing, I think we're looking at about 200 jobs there. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be a really neat farm. It's going to be sustainable farming, providing food to a region right now that is suffering some serious and, and dire starvation, especially in southern Sudan where there's a you know, civil war going on. This is an odd question. I don't even know if you're able to do this. Uh -oh. How do you rank your passions? Oh. So it's financial services, obviously, again, we, you, you were talking about that back in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, building communities, I think, obviously, movement. I'm trying to stay away from that word because it's so easy to use, but it's just so perfect um, to, as it relates to all that. What drives you every day when you go into work? Man, Jake, I, I hope you get to experience this. I, I really I love what I do when I wake up in the morning. And, and to me, 
so this morning, the, the morning started off at 7.30 with a breakfast with one of our salespeople, one of our frontline, we have about 1,500 of them, but, but I mean, one of our frontline salespeople. And I was talking with her about her business, you know, how she's growing her business and how she's helping her realtors and helping, helping borrowers find homes, right? She's had some fundamental questions. It transitioned from that into this meeting about Movement Day with which one of the um, pastors of the largest African-American church here in Charlotte. Um, a, a couple great leaders from New York that are that are leading a, a massive movement there and talking about how we're going to bring together churches, businesses, and not-for-profits to solve the issues of a given city and like how we're going to identify those in Charlotte. It then went into uh, our, our lawyers looking at like some new um, regulation that's coming down the pipe and how we're going to navigate that as a company. And, and you just we were, love that. Yeah, love, love that part <laughs> of the day. Uh, but then, yeah, then, we're, then, then we had a technology meeting, right? Where we're talking about yeah. like a new technology that we're bringing to market to revolutionize the way people get mortgages. So, like I just love that kind of seamless flow of you know for-profit work, and then thinking about how to take the profits that are generated and invest them back into communities to solve big issues, to like solve big issues. And I think you know housing is a big issue for America. Housing is a big uh, financial services are are still in crisis in America. America has lost faith and hope in the financial services arena. Three out of the five most hated brands by millennials are banks, right? And we have a fundamental problem that we need to restore Americans' confidence in the financial services arena. Education is also a fundamental problem in America. We are failing to educate our urban poor. That, that is a place we're failing. So I love getting to run into and run, just kind of rush forward into those problems, working to solve them with really bright, passionate people um, and, and really not kind of, kind of chopping that up during the day, kind of mixing it all together. Yeah. All right. Now we've talked mortgages. We've talked football. Again, just to go back to the entrepreneurial side of things, um, do you, do you like that? Do you like talking to young entrepreneurs? I mean, I, I know your day is packed, but are you able to give back in that regard? And on top of that, what advice might you have, whether somebody is looking to shut down their, their football career or they're coming out of school and they think they've got the next great idea. What advice do you have for them? I, I, do, I do love talking to young entrepreneurs. I don't love talking to young dreamers. Um, and so mm. I'll draw that distinction. Sure. A lot of guys will call me and tell me, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. And, um, I want to talk to you about this idea I have. And so f- to me, by definition, if you're an entrepreneur, you start a business, right? And then the business has to generate a profit or revenue or something, bring some value to the marketplace that somebody wants to compensate you for. Uh, a lot of guys want to come and talk about ideas and hopes and dreams that they have that have no underpinning, no, f- no, no foundation to them. And they haven't stepped out in any kind of way to make it happen yet. So, so I'll, I mean, I'll invest a lot of time because I had guys invest in me along the way and try to give back to folks that I see stepping out and really, really that have a credible vision of something they want to do in the marketplace. Um, what, what, what you, like I said, what you get of a lot these days are, are guys that don't particularly love working and have some idea that they want to like get rich quick on hmm. and, and want you to fund it a lot of times too, you know, Hey, believe in me. And, right. Um, and that, that, that is, is probably why like, you know, less, less engaging, less, less exciting to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe I'm making this a bigger thing than it is, but do you get former NFL players or former professional athletes just in general that reach out to you? Like, Hey man, how did you do it? Uh, oh, you know, man, I'm not yeah. saying I've got the next best idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. but give me a two to three year plan to get there. Yeah. I, you know, not as much as I'd hope. We try to make ourselves available. I've been up to, you know, work with the NFL PA and, and the, um, Charles way, a former teammate at UVA. Um, runs career transitioning for the NFL. He does a, a, a fantastic job. And we're trying to work actually on more programs for former players who have gotten out in the marketplace, had some success that we can maybe speak back in and give some guys some advice as they make that transition. So trying to do more and more of that. And, and oftentimes what I tell guys, man, what I love to do is talk to guys that are still playing 
And what I tell them was kind of what I said at the beginning of the program where you can make these incredible relationships. You can yeah. have an amazing network. It doesn't matter if you're the, I mean, I was the last guy on the bench, like the last guy on the bench. Any, anybody in financial services in Charlotte would, would take a meeting with me anytime. Sure. Yeah, I could have, I could have interned with, I mean, probably for Humacall at Bank of America if I wanted to in the summer times, just because I was a part of the team. And I try right. to be encouraged guys uh, while you're in that environment, man, network, network, network is it's a hundred percent about who, you know, and then finding mentors that'll pour into you um, to help you have success early on and when you when you do get out man so that's that I, I think it's one of the assets that guys most underappreciate and most underutilize while they're playing they think the paycheck is the most valuable thing they're getting like man that paycheck you will spend whatever money you you made you know there's not very many tom brady contracts floating around right, right? most guys are not gonna be able to retire off the income they make in the nfl what they will be able to do is set themselves up for a lifetime of success with the relationships they make one thing I've always noticed with you is that you were kind of always one step ahead of me. I, I feel like I am like a, like a, I'm on social media. I know what's hip and cool and whatever, but as it relates to business on the web, so podcast speakers, Ted talks, books, you were always, Hey, have you heard of that? I'm like, no, I, I haven't heard of that guy, Casey, but <laughs> who is he? And I'll listen to it or, and I'll read it. So what are you listening to now? You know, for someone that maybe is at movement and is like, man, I'd love to keep climbing the ladder. Somebody that's in the financial services industry, that's looking over at movement and loving what they're doing. And just even outside of the industry, what does the CEO of a growing company read, listen to do to build your yeah. kind of business know-how up <laughs> in the background. Man, I, I am eclectic. It's it, it yeah, is, you are. It is no, yeah. yeah, it it is not not down the middle of the uh yeah, middle of the road probably as you might expect. Uh, one guy that you might expect um and that is not new and is and is well known is Simon Sinek. I, I I mean you know I love Simon Sinek, man. He um he 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 really kind of I think put the words in and just a great framework for um, what I really believe to be true, you know, our mission statement is that we exist to love and value people by leading a movement of change in our industry and corporate cultures and communities across America. And Simon Sinek, um, when he talks about why leaders eat last and leading with love, I mean, he uh, he's a guy I have a lot of respect for. I think he has a great insight into just human nature and, and relationships and how people operate. And he's, he's talked a lot recently about about cell phones and, and you know, what what how social media actually and cell phones and our addiction to them are ruining relationships. And that's a, a huge thing for us, our, our personal relationships. I think people are transformed, their lives are transformed through interpersonal and personal relationships. So I've, you know, it's funny, again, I'm getting like an old fuddy day now, but like we, I started to listen to some of the things he said, well, I'm taking my phone out of the bedroom, right? Like I'm, I'm charging mm. my phone yeah. outside my bedroom now. So that I, it's not the first thing I grab when I wake up. It's not, you know, if I wake up in the middle of the night, it's not, I'm not checking text, checking Facebook, checking emails. It's so easy to get sucked into doing I'm kind of letting my mind relax and and, and um, kind of recentering on the people I'm with too. Also trying to be more cognizant of the people I'm in a room with, right? And he talks about the little uh, endorphin uh, drip you get when when you feel that phone buzz, oh, right? 100%. I mean, if, how good does that feel, right? A little a text, a fa Facebook update, whatever. You feel that buzz yeah. and you cannot wait to pull it out of your, you know, pull, <laughs> pull it out, check your phone and, and you know, see what was going on. It, it, dis it pulls you out of conversations and the people you're actually with. So, uh, he's a guy, man, again, over and over, I, I've talked about, um, him from, you know, from, um, why leaders eat last and, um, uh, just so many things he's kind of taught, you yeah. know, on Ted and, and, and other places, man, I love him. I encourage guys to listen to him a lot. Well, because you, you gave us a peek into the bedroom. That's what you uh -oh. just, no, right. So let's talk Did about, no, let's talk, let's talk, no, no, let's talk about personal. So, um, work-life balance, CEO of a company, Michelle runs a CrossFit gym 
She, for those that don't know, elite athlete. She's very busy. She's training. How do you guys make it work? So I, work-life balance, I, I don't even know. That's that's a term I actually hear a ton on the West Coast. Let's say work-life integration. Yeah, in, in, integration is, is one. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot better. Um, because I can tell you, for, for Michelle and I, it would not be strange at all for us at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night to both be sitting in bed with a laptop open. She's, you know, working on her gym, writing a, a workout for the next day. And I'm, um, you know, checking emails, responding to something, kind of looking, looking at some reports or whatnot. We're both working. I don't think either, either of us feel taxed by that. I think we're feel energized by right. that and like excited by that. And, and then we also might, you know, close this down, look at each other and talk about the challenges we're having in our businesses you know, that we're running. She runs a fabulously successful CrossFit Super business. Super unique, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a really point of unity for us as yep. a couple. It's, it's, it's somewhere we can, you know, it, it doesn't really matter the size or scale of the, the challenges are the same. It's, it's, you know, employee challenges, leadership challenges. It's how do you take care of customers that are really tough to deal with that you just seem like you can't make happy and when do you fire them, right? Uh, it's these same kind of challenges. And so I think that's actually been a place in our relationship where because we are both engaged in our businesses, um, it gives us something to really kind of um, support one another and like a place we can come together and support each other. So, uh, and then we got two uh, girls who are pretty active too, uh, as you know, and then we love coaching them, love being at their games. And one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur is that while we do work pretty hard, we control our own schedules. Yeah, it's you nice. know, it's it, nice. it is, but you, you got to take control of your schedule too, right? Or else it, it controls you. So, um, you know, we don't, I don't miss many games. Don't miss, um, don't miss much, you know, with, with the girls, Michelle coaches them. Uh, which is awesome and you know gets them off the bus uh, gets them on the bus and off the bus every day which is uh, it's pretty neat i think gift that being an entrepreneur gives to you is is that freedom flexibility and freedom schedule man i think we've touched it all all right football mortgages how to run a company advice for entrepreneurs work-life integration this has been awesome i mean we solved some problems I was say, speaking of work-life integration yeah. michelle's probably tapping her foot like <laughs> Get your butt back here. Um, but no, seriously, thank you very much. Uh, we literally are taping this at 8.30, um, the last day of January before I start. So getting this podcast in so we can post it tomorrow. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Man, yeah, you, you, get, you, get a, uh, you get a crew ready for you. Excited for you to tell some stories of movement. I'm pumped. <laughs> All right, thanks for coming on, Casey. Thanks for having me, Jake. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 